Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Interesting. This is the, the most bizarre thing I've ever done as a pastor. So I've done a lot of bizarre things, but, you know, this definitely makes it the most bizarre to mostly be teaching to people who aren't here, but that's okay. Um, you know, just, just want to welcome everyone online, welcome everybody that's here this morning, and we're so glad that you're tuning in, we're so glad that you're here, and we are going to just continue to worship the Lord through His Word this morning, and uh, I just want to draw your attention to a few things before we get going this morning that um, you can, if you want to connect with us, uh, if you're watching online and you want to comment on anything, you can, you can comment on our Facebook page or through our, our YouTube channel, but you can also go to our website, cccolumbia.org, and you can go to the, the Contact Us page. There's a splash page right on the front middle part of our website that you can just click on, and it'll take you to our contact page if you don't know how to get there. Just go to Contact Us, and you can fill out there. You can put your praise reports. You can put your prayer requests. You can put any needs that you may have. If we haven't connected with you over the week, we would love to do that. So if you didn't get a call from one of us this week, we would ask you um, that if you're part of our body here that you would fill out one of those cards so that we can connect with you. We want to touch base and make sure uh, that you are kept in tune with what we're doing. And so make sure you do that. Um, again, just go to contact uh, us on our website and fill out the form there and just give us whatever information you would like to give us. You can also give online if you'd like to. You can go to the right corner of our website and click on the Give button, and that will take you to a PayPal uh, giving, uh, secured giving platform that you can give your, your offerings to the Lord with, or you can mail those to the church if you like. The address is 1028 Nashville Highway, Columbia, Tennessee, 38401. We want to give you every opportunity to worship the Lord, and so we're trying to communicate in various different ways on how you can do that. Okay, so as far as things are going, uh, you know, w right now we are continuing on uh, with uh, just no services really, uh, no Bible studies or anything like that. We're, we're trying to connect with people, and if you know people in this body, I hope that you're connecting with one another and uh, blessing each other and, and continuing to exhort each other on, man, to use this time to reach out to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to those who... Uh, you know, maybe you've been estranged from, you need to maybe make those calls today, man, and, and just get right with people. So, um, you know, we don't know what, what, what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and so we're going to just continue to seek the Lord and, and ask Him to work over this situation. Before we get going, though, I do want to pray over the whole coronavirus thing, and I want to just, as a church, join together in prayer, and I want to pray for those who are sick. As you noticed uh, here, I was up here by myself. This wasn't planned. Actually, our entire worship team yesterday uh, sent, <laughs> sent texts one by one saying, hey, we're not going to make it here. So guess what? This guy got to lead worship this morning. So that, that, that's okay. I enjoyed it. I enjoy doing that. But um, we want to pray for those who are sick and for those who maybe have been exposed to the virus or whatnot. So will you join me in prayer right now? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you were the great physician. Lord, we thank you that you can, you can do anything. There is nothing too small or too great for you, Lord. You care about every detail of our lives. And we thank you, Father, that you are about your business right now in our lives. You know exactly what you're doing, and you know exactly why you've allowed this virus into this world today. 
As we sang earlier, Lord, the enemy means it for evil, but you're going to use it for good. And so we praise your name for that, Lord. We do pray for a very quick resolution to it. We pray in, in the powerful name of Jesus, Lord, that you would remove the virus, that the world would be in shock and awe that this virus would just miraculously disappear. Lord, we believe that you can do that. Will you touch, Lord, the thousands and thousands of people that have this virus right now, Lord? Will you bring them to full healing? Lord, will you protect and preserve those whom you have called? Will you awaken the hearts of those who don't know you, Lord, that maybe are infected by this virus and are on their deathbed? Lord, will you speak into their lives? Will you bring healing, spiritual healing first, Lord? And we do pray for physical healing. God, we ask that you would protect your church. But we also know in this time, Lord, that you are doing something in your church. That you are shaking your church up to get us back to what we are called to. We've never really experienced much persecution in this country and, and yet now, here we are, Lord, we're experiencing some adversity, some difficulty. It's a sign of things to come, Lord. Will you help us to be who we're called to be here? Lord, awaken our hearts. Work in our lives, Lord. Help us not to grow bitter through this situation, Lord, but help us to grow better. We ask you to fill your church with your spirit, Lord. Empower your people to be the evangelists that we are called to be. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That although we may and surely will all die, we shall all see you face to face. And we shall all give account for our lives, Lord. So will you help us this morning to know that we are eternal beings. And we have an eternal destination. And will you help us, Lord, to just make, if we haven't ever made that decision, that today would be the day that we call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So, Lord, we just pray over this whole situation. We pray over your church. We pray over our world. We thank you for our leaders, for our governors, Lord, for our president, for all those world powers, Lord, that are making decisions. We know that you have put them in place. And so would you just continue to guide and direct them. We pray all of these things. And now we pray also for this Bible study in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we are moving right along with our Stand Firm series. And it's going to get interesting. It already has been interesting, but it is going to get super interesting this morning. Um, as we uh, consider details relating to the coming of the Lord Jesus, which, by the way, is a reference to the rapture. Um, we'll, we'll look at this in detail here in a moment. I'll, I'll show you what, why that is. But also, not only the phrase are we looking at, the coming of the Lord Jesus, but we're also going to consider what it means uh, to talk about the day of the Lord, also known as the tribulation period. Let me give you a couple of scripture references for that. Isaiah describes it like this in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, where he says, this will be a day of destruction from the Almighty. And then in verse 9 of Isaiah 13, he goes on to say it will, be a it will be cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. God speaks through Isaiah again in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, 
This will be a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. God speaking through the prophet Joel. And then we're going to read the entire chapter, Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is, listen to what God is describing as the tribulation period here. He says, blow a trumpet to Zion, sound an alarm on a holy, my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people there like has never been before nor will will be again after them through the years of all generations fire devours uh, them and behind them a flame burns the land is like the garden of eden before them but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like the war horses they run as with their rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their path. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. The, they leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This is exactly the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 through 22, where he said, For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had uh, not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus says that those who will be living in the tribulation period, those saints who have come to Christ during that time, the church will be gone. We'll talk about that in a minute. But those saints, those people that are elect, the called of the Lord, that would include the 144,000 uh, Jews that are called to be evangelists during this time. Those people, for their sake, Jesus says, these days would be cut short. Because if, if it wouldn't, they would not be able to endure it. What a day this will be. The tribulation, folks. It is no joke. You do not want to be here when this goes down. I promise you. It will be the worst nightmare anyone could ever imagine, but you could never wake up from. How sad it will be. And Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica regarding this, regarding the day of the Lord. And he wants to give us some information, particularly about a, a, a special someone that will rise up during this time, the, 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 the man of lawlessness, 
the Antichrist. Perhaps you've heard of him. He will be a world leader during this time, and he will be influencing, uh, you know, all of the entire world, but he will himself be influenced by none other than Satan himself. And he will surface the very, we'll talk about this, the timing of that here in a moment, but I believe that this is simultaneously happening at the very same time of the rapture, uh, that, that, that all of these things take place and there will be one that will surface during that time, right about this time when the church is taken out and he will have the answers that the world is looking for about what in the world is going on. Who is this Antichrist? What are the characteristics that we can look for? Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 8 describes him well. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth were like a lion's mouth. And listen, to it the dragon, this is Satan, gave his power and his throne and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. You know how long that is? Three and a half years. This is exactly what Daniel's talking about, Daniel chapter 9 and the seven-week prophecy. You can look that up later. But for three and a half years, he will be able to do all of these things. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not, had not been written before the foundation of the world in the, in the book of life, the lamb who was slain. slain. Isn't it interesting that over and over and over again, we read in Revelation chapter 13 this concept of someone giving this person power. And it is not Satan, it's the Lord. God is giving him power during this time. And we'll see why as we kind of get to the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says that God gave them strong delusion. We'll talk about that uh, next week. We won't get to it this week. But this Antichrist, he will come and he will rise up and he will do amazing things. So much so that, listen, if, if you were there, you would think that this guy was the Christ. Like the things that he will do, that Jesus says the miracles that he will do will be insane. It will be a scary time to live. But thankfully, we know that we won't be here. I, I truly believe that. Now, the, the Antichrist... Just as we are inhabited with the Holy Spirit, the Antichrist is inhabited with Satan himself. He is empowered by Satan, and uh, um, he will become the most wicked person that has ever lived on the face of this earth. He will not, 
He will go way beyond Stalin, way beyond Hitler, any of these guys. These were, these were types of Antichrist. They were definitely influenced by Satan and all of that. But this one, he is the Antichrist, not a Antichrist. He is the Antichrist, and he will be the, the worst person that has ever lived on this planet. The second letter to the Thessalonians, particularly chapter 2 here, is extremely important to us understanding what has to take place before the Antichrist can surface, which, by the way, will become the key indicator of the tribulation period. This is exactly what Paul is trying to speak about regarding the second Thessalonians. He didn't just bust into an eschatological study in the middle of, of, of his letter to these guys. He's like, oh, let's just talk about end times because I like it. That's not what he's doing. He's actually talking to these people about a real issue that they have in their time, and it, and it is regarding the fact that they think that they're in the tribulation period. They think that they have missed the rapture. That's why they're nervous. That's why they're afraid. You know, Paul says here that they are shaken in mind and alarmed because they believe that they have missed the rapture and they are now in the tribulation period. But, but Paul is going to clear all of this up very simply. He's going to help them understand that. Let me adjust this thing because it's popping on me. I don't like it. All right. Is that, can you still hear me okay? Okay, so, so what he's saying, what Paul is doing is he's helping them understand, uh, you know, what they ought to be looking for regarding the tribulation period. I, I don't think that he had any intentions of really even going into the depth of, or the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to go into the depths of this for their purposes. It really it doesn't have anything to do with them because they will not see it. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is really primarily to, to give them rest. You know what's interesting about the Lord is that he always gives us truth to give us rest from anxiety and those kinds of things. If you ever notice, like, when, when you're anxious about something and you're, like, struggling and you're worried and all these kinds of things, that it's the truth that sets you free? Like, like you sit there and you think, like, oh, man, this is what's going to happen, and you anticipate these, this moment, and you're, you're crazy, going crazy over what, what it could possibly happen, right? So you're totally, and then when the truth comes and you actually experience it, you're like, oh, that's it? You see, the truth has an incredible way of setting us free from being anxious about these things. And the Lord is faithful to bring truth into our lives so that we can live without anxiety. He's given us his truth. He's given us his word. There is no generation in the history of the world that is more blessed than you and I because we have the complete word of God. And we can find total rest. Why is our world struggling so much with anxiety? Because they don't know the truth. That's why. People are not illiterate, or they're not illiterate, they're illiterate. They don't read the Bible. People aren't studying the Bible like we should be studying the Bible. We, we're going to see here that studying the Bible is a key to, to living at peace and be at rest in all of the things that are going on in our world today. So let's, let's read our, our text this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 12, and we're only going to go through 1 through 4 here today. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. 
For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Lord, we come again real quickly, Lord, we ask you to help us understand these things. Speak into our lives, Lord. Share the truth with us so that we can be anxiety-free, Lord, so that we don't have to worry. Help us understand your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so Paul here, he, he's unveiling some very specific things about, about the, the end, the beginning of the end. That is the title of my sermon, The Beginning of the End. And, and the, the Lord has left us plenty of information as it relates to the coming of Jesus and, the, and you know, the timing of the, these kinds of things. He told us, listen, no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season. It reminds me of a story this English missionary, Harold Wildish, told, us, told about a father who was leading his son on a long journey, and, and his three-year-old son was asking him, Daddy, when are you going to be coming home? How long will you be gone? And his father knew that he wouldn't understand if he talked to him in time and days and months and all these kinds of things. So he spoke to him in seasons. And so he told his son, he said, Listen, I will be coming home when you see these leaves turn brown and you see them begin to fall off the trees, then you know that your daddy is coming home soon. So the father leaves and he goes out about his business and he's gone for some time and it's July and August and, you know, the, the little kid is with his caretaker taking, um, taking walks and he's looking around and he doesn't, he sees these green leaves and all this kind of stuff, remembering what his dad said. And then it became September. And there was a big storm that had come. The leaves had started to turn brown, and a big storm had come the night before and had wiped some of the trees off of the uh, uh, leaves off of the trees. And so the, the, the little boy went out with his caretaker again, and he saw this, and he became ecstatic, and he said, hooray, hooray, daddy's coming soon. So it is with you and I. Take a look around, church. The leaves are turning brown, and they are beginning to fall. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, be very gloomy. No. Put your chin up. Lift up your heads for the coming of the Lord is near, is drawing near. Listen, this is the most anticipated day in the history of human, the, the, the most anticipated period of time in human history when 
Jesus will crack the sky, remove his church. He will rain down judgment on this world like he's never seen before. And then he will come to this earth and he will take his earthly throne physically. And he will reign here for a thousand years. A thousand years. Paul wants to unveil to these believers in Thessalonica that they don't have to fret or worry because although the season is there, they're seeing the things, they're being persecuted, they're, being, they're, they're experiencing all these difficulties, they are not yet in the tribulation period. So he's going to tell them some things that they need to, that, that, they're, that have to happen in order for the, them to be in the tribulation period. There's three things that I want to show you in this passage, but really, we're only going to get to the first one. Unless you guys want to stay here for, you know, three hours, we can work it all, work it all out today. But let's, let's just go through the one today. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the deception regarding the timing of the beginning of the end. Look at verse 1. It says, Now, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seemingly to be from us, to, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawless is, lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his place in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, again, by way of reminder, this church in Thessalonica was a thriving church. It was a church that was doing well. It was a church that Paul was proud of. It was a church that he was bragging on every place that he went. He said, man, you ought to check out these believers in Thessalonica. They are going through it, but they are doing well. They are suffering well. They are, they are um, you know, spreading the gospel, and they, even though they are being killed for the gospel, they, it has not silenced them. And so he was, he was kind of proud of these people. They were suffering great persecution from the Jews and the Greeks in their city. But not only that, they were also fending off all kinds of false teaching. There was all kinds of false things that were coming in. Now, here's the thing about that church that's different from us today is that they did not have the complete word of God. So what they had was what Paul told them. And he was only there, remember, for three weeks. He had sent Timothy back to them, and he was there for a period of time. So Timothy probably poured into them a little bit, but... But here's the thing is that they didn't have all the information like we have. And so they were confused and they were, they were worried. They were like, man, we know that the tribulation is coming. We know that in that time that there will be heavy persecution upon the church. We read that earlier in Revelation chapter 13 where the, the Antichrist, God will give him the ability to come against the church. And remember, I think it's Revelation chapter 5 where those, um, those tribulation saints are under the throne saying, how long, O oh Lord? Those people who had given up their lives during the tribulation period are crying out to God, how long, O oh God, before you will avenge our blood? So there will be many people that will be slaughtered during that time. They understood this. They got that. But they were saying, man, how in the world can we be in the tribulation period? Why? Why are they worried? Because they believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you missed my series on 1 Thessalonians, you need to go back and listen to it. It's on our website. Uh, we did it um, in the last quarter of last year. Uh, you know, uh, in particular, um, I'll draw your attention to a few sermons in, um, in a moment in December that I did. 
but you can listen to the whole series on our website, so make sure you do that. Paul is trying to get these people to understand that they are not in the tribulation period, but these are things that they can expect. All churches, uh, all, all, the entire church from the point it was established is going to experience persecution. Jesus promised that. He said, listen, a, master, a student is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So this is standard way of life for believers. But what Paul is going to help them understand is some things to help them relate, you know, to the, the coming of the Lord Jesus and the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period. But here's Paul's command. Did you catch it? He said, let no one deceive you in any way. Let no one deceive you in any way. About what? Being deceived about what? He's saying being deceived about the truth regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and about the day of the Lord. He says, do not be deceived. Why? Because the enemy is trying to deceive those who are following Christ that, you know, regarding the, the rapture, regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus, and regarding uh, the, the, the day of the Lord. Why? Because he wants to put us on the sideline, folks. He does not want us going out and telling people about Jesus. He, he's, he's deceiving us in a lot of different ways. People respond to eschatology differently. Some people are super excited and they love to hear about it and, and it really makes them beam because they know what the end game is for this, is that we win, that we get to go and be with the Lord forever and all those kinds of things. I don't think that's a wrong perspective. I think when we talk about eschatology, we, we, we sh there should be an excitement in us because we're talking about being reunited to Jesus. It should not be fearful. If we're fearful, we don't understand it. If we're afraid of it, we don't understand it. And so we want to get better understanding of these things. But, but some people, they're deceived into thinking, oh, that will never happen in my lifetime. Really? Well, let me tell you, there has never been a generation in the world, in the history of the world, that has been primed for all of this as it is with us. This couldn't have happened. Listen, it, it could not have happened prior to May 14, 1948, before uh, Israel became a nation. This is like one of the final timepieces that needed to be put in place. So when you're talking about Charles Spurgeon speaking about eschatology, it wasn't even possible for Christ to come back yet in that time. They were waiting for Israel to become a nation again, for the gathering of his people to be reestablished, and that happened. The only thing that we're waiting for now, the only thing, if there's anything, the only thing that we're waiting for is the last Gentile to come to Christ when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. If there is anything that we're looking for, it's that. What does that mean for us? That means we as the church should be out proselytizing, letting people know about Jesus. Are you the Gentile that we need to evangelize? You know, you need, you need to find that person. Paul wants these guys not to be deceived about anything. And I, I wonder if we're deceived about what we believe relating to uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus and the tribulation period. Paul says, do not be deceived. In order for us to understand um, how it will all transpire, you know, let's look at these phrases real quick. Why, the, the, the phrase, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reference to the rapture. I told you I was going to show you why. So if you recall in Paul's first letter, 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, he, he said this. Listen to the phrasing. And, and he's talking about the rapture. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul is describing the rapture. He's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same phrase that, he, that Paul's using here in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's the same phrase he used when he talked about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. And notice what he says here. In the rapture, he's... he's resolving some anxiety that these guys have about people who have died prior to Christ's coming. He's saying, listen, although they have already died, they will be coming back with Christ in the rapture, not the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the rapture. They're going to come back with him, and they are going to inhabit those bodies, those, those physical bodies that they had on this earth. You know, They're going to be resurrected in that sense, and then immediately they're going to be transformed and changed just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through, through the end of the chapter there, he talks about we shall all be changed. And so he says the dead in Christ will rise first. So what will happen is those, and we don't know, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that those who die now are with the Lord. Are they bodiless right now or do they have a temporary body? I don't know. They probably have some sort of a body, but at some point, they're going to come back and get the body that they had here. And God is going to transform and change it just like he did Jesus' body. That is why the bodily resurrection of Jesus is so important. That's why when we, when we talk about Easter, we understand that without the resurrection and the transformation of the body of Jesus Christ, we have no salvation. So the resurrection is so important. But those in... Those who have died prior to Christ's coming are going to be risen again. And then we, Paul says, he includes himself in that. We who are alive, he thinks it could happen in his day even. We who are, who are alive shall be caught up together with them to be with them in the clouds. And we'll be with the Lord forever. He's talking about the rapture there, about those who are caught away. To be, to be seized violently is what that phrase means. So it's just to be snatched out of the world to be transformed. It's going to be awesome. But he's talking about the coming of the Lord there. He's talking about the rapture. And he tells us that we will be with him forever and ever, and that is such a thing to be uh, looking forward towards. Amen? Amen. You say amen at home too, man. That is something to be excited about. Uh, this is a day that we are expectantly waiting for. That Jesus will return for us. Remember the promise of Jesus. He said to us in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, well, I, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be 
also. Don't worry. He's coming back. He promised that he would. And so he will. We just need to be ready and watching. One of the reasons why I believe heavily, uh, you know, in a pre-tribulation rapture is primarily because what the rapture stands for. Remember what we talked about in the very beginning of when I, when I described what the day of the Lord is, when it talks about destruction, talks about God's anger, and it talks about all these things, it's, it's talking about the wrath of God being poured down upon this world. The wrath of God is coming down. Now, how, is, how does wrath relate to us as believers? Well, listen to the, what the word of God says, not what I say. Listen to what Jesus himself said. He said in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. So how are we delivered from the wrath of God? Through Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, to these very people. He said, it was Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, listen, for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I would encourage you, if you are struggling with understanding the rapture and understanding these things, that you go to our website, ccolumbia.org, and you go back to December and listen to my sermon on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And you'll gain a ton of information. The title was Encouraging Words for Grieving Hearts. And so you can go back and listen to that. This, there is plenty of biblical reasons there in that teaching of why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You don't have to believe in that. That's okay. I, I'm not, we're not going to fight over that. But I'm just telling you that there's a ton of reasons why we believe that because it's in the Bible. And we have tons of scriptural support to, to substantiate that. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. At the end of the day, what we care about is what does God's word say? Now, let's talk about the second description these believers are facing. The first deception was regarding the, 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 the coming of the Lord Jesus. They, they thought they missed a rapture. That's why they're freaking out. Secondly, they're worried that they're in the tribulation period. Paul had already addressed this to them. In the first letter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, he said, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Listen, Paul had already told these believers that they need not have anything written to them about this. They don't even need anybody to write about this. Paul gave them already enough information. And here's number two reason why they don't need to worry about this, because they're not going to be here. Because they're not going to be here. Paul's already, he's already taught them that. Isn't it interesting that every time Paul talks about the rapture, that isn't it interesting that he talks about the rapture, then the tribulation? I mean, in every, every sense of every time he mentions it, that it's the rapture, then the tribulation? Isn't that interesting? I think that's on purpose. I think the Holy Spirit is telling us something there. That 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 is actually the way that things will go down. So, you know, Paul is is saying, I've already told you guys about this stuff, and I don't think that you need to be focused on when those things are going to occur because they're not going to affect you. Remember Daniel. Daniel was pleading with God at the, I think it's Daniel chapter 11 or Daniel 12, one or the other. He was saying, 
to God, will you just show me what all this means, Lord? And the Lord said, shut the books up, Daniel. They're not for you. They're for people down the road who will experience these things. Shut the books up and stop asking me questions about this stuff. This is not something you need to be consumed with. So oftentimes we can be consumed with trying to figure out the times that we forget about our real calling in this life, and that's to evangelize lost people. Listen, if we give ourselves up and over to things that we probably are not even going to go through, then we're wasting our time. So we need to be very careful about how we, we, we need to know. I think we need to have some understanding, but I don't think we need to be experts in anything that has to do with the tribulation, with the Antichrist, or anything like that. I think we have to have a, a, an understanding of how things are going to play out, but I don't think that we need to go into Satanology and, and the Antichristology and all of those kinds of things. Who cares? You know, at the end of the day, what we will know is that if we are here, the Holy Spirit will tell us exactly who the Antichrist is. We'll talk about this next week, but that's why I firmly believe in the pre-tribulation rapture as well because there is a restrainer in the world today that is stopping him from rising up. And I believe it's us, the church, not because we're great, but because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We'll talk about that later. Now, Paul is saying here that that, um, you know, he's already talked to these believers about this, and so they don't need to worry about it. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. Do you know that? Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Listen to what he said. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is saying, listen, do not get distracted and trying to understand those things, go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Go out and tell somebody about the gospel. Um, you know, he, he tells them that they don't, you don't need to worry about it. Here's what Paul did tell them, that it will come like a thief in the night. The world is just going to be operating as normal. You know, and, and uh, honestly, the normal operation of the world is chaotic. I don't know if you know that, but I'm just letting you in on a secret that it's chaotic already. Have you guys been out there lately? It's insane. People are going crazy. They're buying everything. It's like, whoa, man, I can't even. I tried to go get some hamburger last night, man. I just want to make a burger. And I was like, no burgers, nothing left. It's crazy. People are, are stocking up. They're, they're scared. They're afraid. And that is the, that has always been the way that the world operates. The world is self-preserving. People in the world are self-preserving. They're going to preserve themselves. The church ought not be self-preserving. We ought to be giving, right? Just like Jesus gave. We ought to give, even if it means our own lives. We ought to give. Listen, it's going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 37, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. But listen to what he said. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. 
what is Jesus referring to? What hour? What day? What, 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 what specific event is he talking about? He's not talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the rapture. He's telling us as the church that we need to be ready for his coming. Why do we know that? Because, again, if you go back to those sermons I gave in 1 Thessalonians, you remember I said that the only day that we cannot pinpoint is the pinpoint the day of the rapture. Do you know that according to Daniel's prophecies that we can pinpoint exactly when the second coming of Christ will be? You know why? Because he said three and a half years from the point in which the, the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem that's erected in their, their, and he say, declares himself to be God. You can mark your calendar three and a half years from that day, Jesus is coming back. He's not talking about that event. He's talking about the rapture of the church. Nobody knows. Nobody will know when that happens. And so that's what he's speaking about. And then he's saying that Paul says the thief, the thief, the, the, the tribulation will come like a thief in the night. The reason why it will come like a thief in the night is because it simultaneously happens when the church is ripped out of this world. The, tr the rapture, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say ushers in, but, I, you know, semantics, if you really want to get into it, probably ushers in the tribulation period. I believe that it happens at the same time. So we'll see. But, but whatever the case, we know that those two things we will never be able to pinpoint the timing of. We can know the season. Jesus said, look at the fig tree. Just look at Jerusalem. That's all you have to do. Just watch Israel and see what's going on with Israel. See, what's, see how the world's plaguing and coming against Israel. You can watch what's happening in Israel and you can tell where we're at in terms of the timing of things. He's not talking about the second coming, but of the, the coming of the Lord for his church, which is the rapture. So this, this church is facing a couple different types of deception. Number one, about the, about the rapture, that they have actually missed the rapture. And then secondly, they're, they're, they're faced with this, this concept that they are in the tribulation period. So Paul tells them, man, you're freaking out over this. You guys are, are afraid so let me drop some truth. Now, um, before we get into that, let me tell you this. Where does deception come from? Where does all deception come from? From the enemy, right? From Satan. Satan is the source of all deception. Uh, he's called the father of lies by Jesus in John 8, 44. He is the one who deceives the whole world, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. He first deceived himself into thinking that he could rise up and become like the Most High God that didn't work out very well for him, but guess what he did? He deceived a third of the angels to come with him. A third of the angels sided with Satan. He's such a great deceiver. In the light of who God is, in the light of Satan, he, he deceived them to so, such a degree that he swayed a third of the angels to come with him. Not, not only does that deception stop there, but then he finds himself in the Garden of Eden. Then he is deceiving the, the mankind. And listen, that deception has continued on and on and on. It, it has never gone away. Satan is the ultimate crooked salesman. He could sell a ketchup popsicle to a lady wear, wearing white gloves, right? He is the master of deception. And his methods have never and will never change. Why change something that works for you? This works so well for him. Look around, folks. 
the things that we're facing in this world today, the things that are going on in our world today are a matter of deception. Everything boils down to truth or deception. Truth or deception. And the enemy is a master deceiver. That, and, and not only that, he has messengers that he sends into the world that are humans that he sends in with me false messages to people. What are those false messages? Evolution. Number one false message in the world. Where did we come from? Everybody wants to know that, that, that question. Where do we come from? Oh, I better, I better put some deception out into the world relating to where we came from. Oh, we just, just happened. And we just, there's a big bang and boom, there we were. And, 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 you know, it all happened that way. Wrong. That is deception. And in fact, you know, you can, if you look into evolution very far, you don't even have to get very far. You can look very quickly and you can see it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. There is zero proof. You want to talk about science. There's zero scientific proof that evolution is true. Why? Uh, they have, they have um, adaptation, yes, but not evolution. What is adaptation? That is a change that is adapting to, uh, you know, the, the environment, but it's the same kind. It's the exact same kind. It hasn't changed out of its species. It's the exact same thing it was. It's just a little bit different. It's not, there's no change of kind. Evolution says that I was one thing and I became another. I was a Honda Accord and I became a Ferrari. That is evolution. Oh, scholars will say, oh, well, that's macroevolution. No, that's Darwinian evolution. And it is absolutely a deception. It is absolutely a deception. It drives me crazy. My kids go to public school and they bring home this Neil deGrasse videos and they talk about evolution and I want to go into their talk to their teacher and I'm like, ask your teacher this and that and whatever. It's so ridiculous. You know why? Not that I have a problem that they're trying to deceive my kid, number one, but, but I, have a, I have a problem with the fact that they teach it as a fact, not a theory. That's my problem. Um, so, so there's that deception. Not only that, but then we have the deception, a bigger deception in the world of where it's okay to kill babies. So, you know, we, we have the deception in the world that, well, it's a woman's body, so it's okay for them to, to murder kids. Little babies in the womb, it's okay for that. That's not okay. That is deception. Not only that, but then we have all these world religions that all say, oh, we're, you know, you can get to God in any way you want to. You just come as you are and do whatever you want, and, and you'll get to him somehow, you know, because we're all children of God. We are not all children of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says we're all creation of God, but we are not all children of God. The only people that are children of God, we have the right, the Bible says, to become children of God through Jesus Christ. It is the only way that we can become children of God. There is so much deception in our world today. So much deception. The enemy is continuing to deceive. And he's telling these, this church, do not be deceived. And he's telling you that this morning. Do not be deceived. Because the possibility is that you could be deceived in what you believe. In what you're thinking. How do we, how do we, how do we deal with that deception? Through truth. You deal with deception through truth. When you shine a light into 
deception, it exposes the lie. And so we need the light of God's word to be shined into the deceptive things that we're believing. Uh, l- let me illustrate this very quickly. Most of you guys will get this. So it, how many of you guys would believe that, you know, uh, you, 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 how many of you would believe or have believed in your lifetime the deceptive teaching that you can work your way to heaven? Anybody ever believed that before? I did. I believed that for a long time. In fact, I said that to people. I, like the Lord re- reminds me of those conversations. Because remember when you were, you were so deceived that you said to yourself, oh, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do good things, I'm going to get myself to heaven. Wrong. That is absolutely wrong. And anyone who believes that is totally deceived. Here, here's the sad thing is that uh, uh, Pew Research took a survey on this specific question. How many do you believe that you can contribute to your salvation? Do you want to know what the answer was? 52% of people that proclaim to be believers said yes. I do, I do contribute to my salvation by doing good things. What in the world are people reading? They're not reading the Bible because the Bible says that no one is good. Listen, I don't care how good you think what you're doing is. It's not good because you're not good. God's definition of good is perfection. I mean, you know, how ridiculous would it be? And this, this even paints, this is, this is Ray Comfort's analogy, not mine. But he said, how ridiculous would it be for you to go in, you're, you're on trial in a court, and they're saying, okay, Tim, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty for murder? And you say, well, I'm guilty, but I'm a good person, and I usually do good things. How is that going to help you in court? The judge is going to say, hey, you know what? You might do a lot of good things in your life, and you might do, you know, all kinds of good things, but guess what? You did this one bad thing, and you're going to pay for it. That is the judgment of God. That's the way that judgment works. Justice is not served unless, uh, unless there is a penalty for the crime. I don't care how much you do. It will never work. You'll never be able to get to heaven based on that. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What are the wages of sin? The Bible says death. It doesn't say, well, God will weigh out your good deeds and your bad deeds, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then, well, I guess you get to go to heaven. Not, not the case. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Or let me just read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Boom, roasted. There you go. You have been outmanned and outgunned, my friend. How did, you know, God has shined the light into the deception, and he's told you clearly that you cannot work your way to God, period. So therefore, every religion and every teaching that says that you can work your way to God is a false teaching. It is deception. And, and so, you know, that, that's a, just a really simple illustration of how the truth can reveal the lie. So we considered the topic of deception regarding the rapture and the day of the Lord and then the source of deception, the enemy, through messengers who spread lies and and, and how we combat that deception by knowing the truth. 
This brings us to the place where Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, will now give these believers two specific identifiers that will indicate whether or not they are in the tribulation period. He's telling them, don't be deceived. Even if people, you know, send a letter that says it's from me, which, by the way, that, that's something that happened. And they had letters that were saying, oh, yeah, Paul said that we're in the tribulation period. Look, here's his letter. That's deception. Do not be deceived. He said, let me give you some information on, on the truth regarding this. He says, for that day will not come, verse 3, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son uh, of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. And uh, Paul, Paul tells us here that, that the, in the tribulation period will not happen until the rebellion comes first. And you know what? I don't want to get into this because I got a lot of notes here. And it's our, we're getting pretty close here. But, um, well, maybe I'll get into this part. And then, then I'll close this down. But the Greek word here for rebellion is apostasia. It's where we get our, our word, our English word, apostasy. It literally means to depart. Okay. So um, what, what departure is Paul talking about? What kind of a departure? So there's, it's a twofold meaning, I believe. And, and scholars debate this meaning of this word, so there's all kinds of different uh, thoughts on it. But there's really two main, main thoughts, and I believe that the Holy Spirit intends both of them to be uh, interpreted here. The first departure that many scholars believe that Paul is talking about is the departure of the church. He's talking about the rapture of the church, that that um, there will be a departure of the church in the last days. So, you know, I believe that um, Paul had already established that point. He'd already established that point in his first letter. He's already established that point in his second letter that there will be a departure by the church. So it's very well um, could be the case that that's what he means by departure here, by the rebellion, you know, by the departure, the apostasia. Um, But it also means... A departure from real, true, genuine faith, from real, true, genuine belief in the truth. Now, here's what we have to understand is that a real believer, a real born-again believer will never go apostate. And in fact, John says in 1 John, um, he says that they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would, have not, they would have remained with us. But because they did not remain with us, they were not of us. What is he saying? He's saying that they looked like believers, they talked like believers, but they were not believers. And so here's the reality when, when we believe in, uh, you know, it, you could not believe in eternal security, meaning I know that I know that I know that I'm saved, if there was a possibility of you losing your salvation. And, and by the way, you didn't earn your salvation. How could you lose it? It was given to you. It's a gift from God. That, that would be like God coming to you. Isn't, isn't that called reward in the world when they say, oh, well, I'm going to give you something because you've done something good? It's called a reward. A gift is freely given, and the person's not going to come back and take the gift. If it did, then it's not a gift. Right? And so, so we, we can't lose our salvation, so we can't be talking about born-again believers here. But he is talking about a lot of people who say they're believers and are not. And in fact, there will be a mass exodus um, right during this time. He said, the rebellion must come first. So 
the rebellion must come first. People are going to be swayed away from the word of God. They're going to be swayed away from the Lord. Do you not see that happening? Look around. I mean, that's happening. People don't believe the Bible is the absolute word of God. People aren't, aren't following the Lord anymore. A lot of people in pulpits even, they're condoning sin and they're saying, hey, oh, yeah, this is cool. We, well, the Bible doesn't really mean that and we're changing what the truth is. Listen, that's happening. That's already happening. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 11 through 12, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So Paul's saying, listen, that's going to happen in the last days. I, I think that's happened. I think that's already happening. I think you'd look around and you can see that that's happened in a big way. It's not happening in a small way. Like there's a big section of so-called Christianity out there that this has happened to. That people are no longer walking according to the counsel of the word of God. But they're walking uh, according to the counsel of man. Listen, there's going to be a mass exodus before the rising up of the Antichrist from the truth of the Bible and uh, the world is going to depart from the one true faith and reject the only mediator, man, between man and God, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is going to happen. That is happening. Um, and we are, we are very close. Paul said to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and, and teachings of uh, demons. So Paul said earlier to them, don't be deceived by any spirit. Don't be deceived by any word, any kind of false prophecy. Don't be deceived by any kind of a letter that would say, hey, this is from Paul, the apostle, and he says this. No, no, you got you to gotta use the truth to examine everything. Because guess what? In the last days, demons are going to rise up and they are going to propagate all kinds of false teaching. And people are going to believe whatever they want. And that's exactly what's happened. I believe the Holy Spirit is, when he uses this word rebellion here, I believe that he is speaking of both the departure of the church. I believe he's talking about also the departure of many who call themselves Christians, who were never Christians in the first place, who depart the, from the faith. You can choose to agree, disagree, or whatever you like. But I think that that is also a secondary support for a pre-tribulation rapture. And I, I wouldn't use it as a primary because I think there's confusion on it. So, but I think it's a great secondary support to look at when it comes to that. Paul says these things have to happen in order for the Antichrist to rise up. And uh, we'll get into the Antichrist um, next week and we'll talk about him a little bit. We'll talk about what's restraining him. We'll talk about the things that he will do. So before we close, I want, I, as we close here today, I just want you to be keenly aware of the deceptions that exist in the world today. I mean, look around. The enemy is, is still at work, man. He has still got messengers in the world, just like he did in this church in Thessalonica, and he sent in messages of false prophecies using spirits, and, and they probably even did signs and wonders and all kinds of different things. 
But if it's against the Word of God, if there's no description of it in the Word of God, the Bible says, test the Spirit and see if it's of the Lord. That means we have the capacity to know whether something's of the Lord. I'll tell you what, somebody posted something on Facebook the other day that said, look at how the Holy Spirit is falling upon these kids who were literally anguish, in pain, crying, yelling, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not do things like that. You show me a place in Scripture where you see the Holy Spirit falling on people and they're screaming uncontrollably and they're running around and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. There's no biblical grounds for that. Therefore, I reject that. And I say, that is not the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, you know, if, if I, I stand before the Lord and I say, Lord, it wasn't in your word. I didn't see it in your word. He's not going to hold me accountable to that. I promise you that. It is not the Holy Spirit, those things. We can know these things through holding fast to the word of God. And um, so, you know, just, just beware of all the deceptions that are going on, man. As you listen to the news and listen to you know, various different teachings out there on YouTube. Do you know there's all kinds of conspiracies relating to, you know, God and, and the coronavirus and all these kinds of things? Be careful about what you listen to. Be very careful about who you allow into your brain. The enemy is trying to plague the world. He's trying to plague the world with hopelessness. But I want to encourage you today that the Bible has a different story. It tells a different story it tells us that there is a God that does exist, that he is madly in love with us, and that he wants to be in relationship with us, th that we are not mistakes. In fact, the Bible says the very opposite. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that God has ordained a specific purpose for every one of us. This whole concept that we have no worth and that our lives are not worth living is an absolute deception. Suicide rates are up. Suicide rates are crazily up in the young people because they are believing the lie. Listen, beware of the deceptions. The Bible tells us that we have worth through Jesus, that Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, that he uh, came to set us free from the plague of deception. He wants to give us hope. We can't come to God on our own terms. We have to come to him in the very specific way that he called us to, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, perfect love casts out all fear. There is no deception. There is no doubting. Uh, we're just found standing flat-footed at the cross, looking at the sacrifice of Jesus and the fact that um, putting my faith in him cleanses me from my sin. Listen, I don't know what deceptions you're believing today, if any, what I know is the way to remove it is to immense yourself in the Word of God, to just, just be poured out into the Word and allow the Word to be poured out in you because it will tell us who Jesus is and what He's done for us. The Bible says He is the Word that was made flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Get into the Word today by faith. Put all your trust in Jesus. Although you... We don't know what the future holds. We can be certain of one thing. Jesus Christ will see us through. Amen? Listen, if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today would be the day that you would do that. And if you've fallen away from the Lord and you're, uh, you know, listening to this or whatever, you're here and, and you've fallen away from the Lord, you need to come back today. You need to just 
repent and turn your heart to the Lord. And if you're struggling today with your belief on what you believe and what you don't believe, um, it's a matter of faith. You need to trust the Lord and you need to put your faith in Jesus. And when you do, he will show up like you've never seen before. So you just need to come to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all that you've spoken to us today, Lord. And we pray that you would help us, God, even right now, to remove any deceptions in our hearts, Lord, that we have believed. Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to just run to you right now with any anxiety, fear, anything that's going on in our hearts, Lord, that we would run to you. Jesus, you're the answer. We have the mighty name of Jesus that we can proclaim over every situation. Lord, we want to uh, just proclaim, Lord, victory is given to us through Jesus. And for some here, Lord, today, maybe listening to this online or later, Lord, maybe they don't know you, they're not in right relationship with you, that you would draw them to yourself. Right now, Lord, that you would help them to see that they can come to the altar of grace. They can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, it's not a half-hearted prayer that will do it. It's a sincere, wholehearted, turning my life over to you and surrendering myself to you that is required. Your word tells us that if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So if there's those here this morning, Lord, those online that need to do that, that you would help them to cry out to you even now. And they would just proclaim, Lord Jesus, I come to you now. In all sincerity, God, believing in what you've done on the cross for me, that you died and rose again from the dead for me. You sacrificed yourself for me, and I've, I want to put my faith in you today. I'm turning away from the life that I've been living, all the sin, all the things that have been going on in my life, Lord. I'm turning to you now, and I'm asking you to cleanse me and forgive me and make me Christian. I want to know that if I were to die today, that I would go to heaven, Lord. So will you give me that faith to believe now? I confess you in Jesus' name. And Father, for anyone who is straight away, Lord, that you would draw them back through repentance, just of turning their lives back over to you, Lord. We know that you use adversity oftentimes in our lives to do that, Lord, so do that now. If that's you, call on his name. You know how to do it. Call upon him. And for those of us, Lord, who are trusting you, who are walking in you, Lord, will you fill us with your spirit now? Will you empower us? Will you help us, Lord, to be the church? To not, Lord, be complainers about the things that we're missing in our lives to the comforts that we don't have that we'd like, Lord. Maybe even the financial uh, difficulties that, are, that may come ahead as a result of all of this. Lord, we want to be your church, which means we have to trust you. Will you fill us with trust now, Lord? You know what's ahead. Give us the faith to trust you, Lord, to believe you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. 
Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.